Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. Listeners, have you ever thought to yourself, I love listening to Amy and Chantel, but I just wish I had more of them. Do you ever find yourself in the mid-episode gap slump in the second week, and you think to yourself, man, I wish there was another episode of Unsighted. Well, I have news for you. We are not changing our posting schedule, but we did a guest spot on another podcast. And if you haven't gone to listen to it, you can go check out Nuzzle House to find us on the latest episode of The Book Boys with Ben and Glenn, who are fun because they rhyme. Also other reasons, but I like that they rhyme. And that's what you missed on Unsighted. Yes, but we we were on a podcast and it was good and it was fun and Glenn and Ben are cool and adults and professionals and my internet sucked but you missed all of that in the podcast that's fine we are also adults Ah, please keep that noise (laughs) we're in our late 20s i'm in my late mid okay is that like upper middle class yeah yeah and you're in your mid mid 20s no i'm in my early late 20s i hate all of this what are we talking about today amy today we're having a much anticipated episode and by much anticipated i mean much anticipated by you and i we are doing timothy finley's the wars i'm so excited we've been talking about it amongst ourselves for like the two years that we've been doing this podcast yeah we have been and during this entire time i have mentioned multiple times that i don't have my copy and i think it's at my mom's and i wish i had my copy because i have a lot of good notes in it (laughs) Chantel, do you want to tell the people what you just told me i have your copy Chantel has been harboring my copy of timothy finley's the wars at her parents house and she's known (laughs) about this since last june and has not forwarded me the episode So Chantal's mom, if you know about this, please give her some flack. I could have had my copy, my copy with all my notes, my copy with all my ideas, my my very well-loved copy that I've been wanting my partner to read for a while now. And it's just, I was, I asked my mom, I got mad at my mom via FaceTime because she couldn't find this book. And I was like, mom, you can't have lost this book. I love this book. Where is this book? And you just now have told me, oh yeah, I found it like back in June when I was moving and I put it in a pile. That's not like my my pile. I was going to send it back to you like in a year. And I'm like, bitch, <laughs> I am mad. In my defense, all the times you said you were looking for it, I was not listening. That's not better. <laughs> Tweet at us if I should forgive Chantel for keeping my copy of The Wars hostage. I'll put up a Twitter poll. I'll put up an Instagram poll. It'll be fun. Okay. But yeah, we're doing The Wars. Fun times. Good times. Love it. Okay, it's not fun. It's not good, by the way. It's not fun and good. It's called The Wars because it is set during and after World War One, A bit before... The last book that we talked about, it was written in 1977 by Timothy Finley, who is a Canadian author. Yes. So I don't know if this is a big thing to our friends in America. Well, I would like to entice them with this fun fact. Oh, give me a fun fact. Nom, 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 That nom. it was published during the height of the Vietnam disillusionment. Oh. If you like things that are about World War One and also things that are against war because the height of the Vietnam disillusionment, basically, if you're a pacifist, you're gonna enjoy this book well you're not maybe not gonna enjoy it but you're gonna read it maybe not enjoy maybe enjoy is a strong word but it will align with your values yeah i have some fun facts 
about Timothy Finley. Give me more. It's not so much fun facts as... Just facts. <laughs> it's just facts. Love it. Good. Timothy Finley was born in Toronto. Shout out to Toronto. So he was born in Toronto in 1930. So he wrote this when he was 47. His nickname was TIFF, which is the same acronym as Toronto International Film Festival. And also exactly what I would have called him. Like I probably would have been like, huh, Timothy Finley, TIFF. Love it. Yeah. Also a fun fact. It's an acronym for his full initials, which is Timothy Irving Frederick Findlay. That's so cute. I know. So he grew up in Rosedale, just like Drake. Yeah, he started from the bottom. (laughs) He was gay, and he is one of the few people I've seen from this era who came out as a teen, which is nifty. Good for him. Good for him. He knew who he was. Then he still got married to a woman. He was an actor, and he got married to a fellow actor. I'm not saying actress, because why? He was 29 years old when he got married and then they separated a few months later wonder why probably because he was gay <laughs> yeah that would do it give it a, give it a try for a month if it doesn't work it doesn't work he's like i don't know i don't like that gotta get a different flavor next time yeah they just didn't have my flavor at the store so i was trying something new but it didn't work out it's like when your instacart shopper is all like hey i got you to the substitution and you're like no you know yeah like when i ordered veggie chicken strips and they had three different kinds of veggie chicken strips at the store but instead of substituting for a different kind of veggie chicken strips they substituted for the same brand of veggie burgers which is not the same item nope anyway he did that he wanted veggie chicken strips and he got a veggie burger and he didn't like the veggie burger so he divorced her (laughs) a year after their official divorce he met his partner of many many years bill whitehead which i'm sorry about your last name bill was a writer and he didn't get our boy tim directly into writing but he introduced him to a fellow writer who got him into writing her name was ruth last name i forget but it's not unknown good 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 the wars is his third novel but It was the first published in Canada. The other two were published in America and England. What are the other ones? Do you know them? I once did. Cool. Love it. Something about a butterfly. Yeah. I could open a Google page. You know what? People can go Google it themselves. We don't cite our things. This is not cited. (laughs) We're having a good time today. Yeah. Yeah, The other two got rejected in Canada because the publishers just didn't like him yet. But then this one got published and it got a bunch of awards. So he picked the right one to get published in Canada. This is a war novel, obviously, but it's also a novel of the southern Ontario gothic genre. And if you're thinking, gee willikers, that sounds like a very specific subgenre. Yes, it is. It is a subgenre that Timothy Finley himself coined. <laughs> I think he might be the only person who wrote in it. Oh, no, definitely not. No? There are a lot of Toronto-centric novels that could be jammed into that if we tried hard enough. Alice Monroe, maybe? There's some Alice Monroe going on. Some Richard B. Wright, probably. Fun. Some Michael Redhill, most likely. Some Drake. Some Drake. Yeah, it's just pepper those in here because I love fun facts. It's also some historiographical metafiction, and I think that's fun. That's true. Yeah. Also very fucking niche. A little. A little niche. I have a summary. Oh, is that all we have about Tiff? Yes. Cool. I think he's neat. I just picture Marge Simpson holding up the potato. I just think they're neat. That's me with Timothy Finley. I'm just like, I just think he's neat. If only I had my copy. First, before I do the summary, I have some content 
warnings. Oh, so many. So sorry. Obviously war. Obviously violence. Obviously death. Um, and then we've got some additional ones. I would like to specify there's also animal death in case you're particularly triggered by that. There is attempted suicide and there is a rape. So if you're like, I'm just not in the headspace for that, we won't go into detail on them, but we will mention them and be kind to yourself. There's also like, it's not just attempted suicide. It's just normal suicide. I forgot about that guy. There is a frame narrative and I didn't write anything about the frame narrative in my summary. So would you like to talk about what the frame narrative is, Amy? If only I had my fucking copy, but yes. So it's too bad you don't. <laughs> Fuck off. It's a frame narrative where we have this lady, Miriam Turner, who goes and is kind of doing like this history blurb about the First World War and people who were in it and whatever. And she goes to this house of this lady, Lady Juliet Dosbury, who's a character in the novel. But we get her telling of the story, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So that's where the historiographical metafiction comes in. There's a lot of elements of this frame story and frame story in general that are self-reflective about the fact that this is a work of fiction. And also it mentions how the story we're getting, we're getting it through like a weird second person interview type of thing so it's not necessarily super reliable and it's about history so it's like history talking about how we talk about history essentially it's really weird it's a lot of fun a thing that's really cool about this frame narrative that's you know more cool than what was in frankenstein is that the interviewer is interviewing with like tapes so she's recording the person she's interviewing with and in the transcripts because it always starts like a little bit of the transcript it tells you that there's a long pause when the story's taking its time to like get to you mm -hmm. which is kind of neat if you like frame narratives go for it if you don't like frame narratives it's not that important you can skip the well don't skip it but you know you can blow through it so that's all that there is to say about that well i have something to say about it also okay in addition to the interviews and it is in second person so it's like saying you it's involving you in specifically looking at the past um, because you're quote looking at Robert's old family photos as we go through the story. I forgot about the photos. Like you said it's a exploration of memory and how we remember yep. because like as real as the war was and as real as this man's life was the only thing that we have of it are like these stories and these photos and you can't really understand it because the memory is so fragmented and therefore we're doomed to repeat the past, which is something I wrote down before I knew this was written during the Vietnam War and is a commentary on that. So that's how that ties in. Yeah. So the narrative inside the frame. The picture, so to speak. <laughs> You threw me off my rhythm. So our main character, Robert Ross, signs up for World War One. He doesn't have to sign up for World War One. He was not going to sign up for World War One, but he feels guilty because his sister Rowena has just died. Uh, Rowena had an unnamed disability and she died falling out of her wheelchair. After she dies, their mom tells Robert to go kill Rowena's rabbits. He does not because that's a terrible thing to do. And then she has someone else murder the rabbits and and Robert tries to stop him and he gets beat up and he does not succeed in stopping him. And their mom sucks. Their mom's awful. And she ultimately is the force that drives him to join the war because I don't think he would have been pushed over the edge otherwise. I mean, he might have been conscripted eventually, but yeah. So after he signs up for the war, he goes to train for the military at a camp in Alberta. The training is fairly terrible. He meets this man named Captain Taffler, who's this like macho war hero and he teaches Robert to like shoot bottles. He's a representation of the muscular Christian. Ooh, 
yes. Would you like to elaborate? Yes. So muscular Christianity was kind of like the be all end all of masculinity at the time. If you're wondering what muscular Christianity is in the muscular Christian, basically, you know how Jesus has abs? <laughs> That was the joke. No, it's like an ideological way of like representing men and how like they have all this like poise and glory and you know, they're hardworking, but they're also like good with their fit, like the perfect, you know, like how we have the manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. There's a muscular Christian man. Is it kind of tied into the fantasy of like rugged individualism? A little like bit. Like they can just do whatever for themselves. They can do whatever. They do everything right. They go into war for patriotic reasons. They don't get shell shock. They just are perfect all the time and they believe in god and i don't know why i turned into this person i don't know what character you're doing right now. i don't know but what's happening in the wars and also in a lot of reactive literature about world war one is that it goes against the muscular christian ideal okay of the macho religious all doing right kind of man jesus with abs yeah because robert's not jesus with abs robert is not jesus with abs okay so we meet captain taffler yeah the muscular christian yeah and then after some stuff happens robert's friends take him to a brothel because he's a virgin because there's nothing worse in the world than being a virgin i'm not mocking virgins his friends were though can I make like a sidebar? Yes. I think that the concept of virginity is dumb. Yes. And is made up. And if you haven't had sex with anyone and you don't want to call yourself a virgin because you feel like that makes you feel icky, then you can just call yourself whatever you want, but also like just someone who hasn't had sex yet. And that's fine because it doesn't define you as a person. It's just an activity you can or cannot do. Like I've never been downhill skiing, but like I'm not a vegan whatever virginity and skiing mixed together is, you know, live your life, guys. That's Amy's PSA. Okay. Thank you for that sidebar. So they send in a sex worker named Ella. She touches his pants and that's too intimate. <laughs> he jumps the gun in his pants. Can you elaborate? No. Can you ejaculate on that further, please? Oh, no. And then Ella's like, well, I guess we're not doing much tonight. And that was nice of her. She was nice about it, but she was like, well, I have nothing else going on. So do you want to see this like peephole into the next room? So she like moves a painting and she's like, look, there's this hole where we can look at people. That's fun to do. Voyeurism is not illegal at all. And what he sees on the other side is a large man riding another man like a horse. This is a, one of many horse imagery, a lot of horse imagery. And cropping him with a riding crop. He realizes the one being ridden is Taffler. He is shook. The reason why Robert here is shook is because this ideal of the muscular Christian is being subverted by this act. And it is one of many ways in which the muscular Christian is subverted in this novel. Yeah, because not only is he having gay sex, he is he's on the bottom. He is receiving it. There's this whole thing in literature about this, which is weird, where if you're performing the act, eh, no big deal. It's just a man penetrating something. But if you're the one being penetrated, apparently that's gayer. Um, I think that's stupid because it is. But it is a thing here where like the fact that he is on the bottom, the fact that he is receiving is even more of a controversy, so to speak. Yeah, so Robert just doesn't know what to do with that because he thought Taffler was this muscular macho man and him having sex with a large 
Swede is what they call him, just doesn't match up with his image of what a macho man is. So he does not get over that. And then he gets sent on a ship to England. On the ship, he makes a good friend named Harris. Harris is good. We like Harris. Harris is in charge of looking after the war horses who are being sent on the ship with them, but then he gets sick with pneumonia on the ship. So Robert takes over that job. Then there is a big storm and a horse breaks her leg. So Robert's new job is to go shoot the horse. It is terrible. It is awful. He misses a bunch because he's a terrible shot. The horse suffers terribly. It's very traumatic for everyone involved, including me reading it. And then he kills her. And also Robert gets injured in the same storm. So when they disembark in London on their way to France, Robert and Harris both get sent to the war hospital there together straight off the ship. In the hospital, they become really good friends just in time for Harris to die of his pneumonia. So Robert scatters his ashes into the Thames River because Harris really liked the ocean and the river goes to the ocean and it's a whole big thing. He does that with Taffler and a woman named Barbara. Then after Robert's recovered, he okay, he doesn't actually recover. He just like gets good enough to go to war. After Robert recovers enough to fight in a trench for several months, he gets sent to France. He meets his fellow soldiers, including Rodwell. We love Rodwell. Rodwell is an artist. Robert likes Rodwell because he takes care of the animals that got cut up in the battlefield and injured. So like the squirrels, birds, frogs, Mice. rabbits, and him taking care of the rabbits reminds Robert of Rowena. Everyone's name starts with R. And it's very touching, but also really terrible that you see like how decimated that entire landscape was and everyone that lived on it. If you don't have to read about trench warfare, maybe don't read about trench warfare. I'm having flashbacks <laughs> and I'm sad. You're having flashbacks. You're having shell shock and you weren't there. I wasn't even there. I just took a full semester. No, a full year of it. Oh, that was not fun. I'm fine. Yeah, some more stuff happens. Woo. And then Robert has to lead his troops on foot to Belgium for some reason. I'm unclear on the reason. I'm unclear as to why they didn't just ship him to Belgium in the first place. I think they're moving the line. Okay, so they're like gaining territory. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they do that. A lot of his soldiers die. He's like leading the troops and Robert feels guilty because he didn't feel guilty enough already. He also almost drowns in a sinkhole in this time, but he's fine. Not fine, but like he survives. The sinkhole here being like a puddle of mud, like quicksand, but mud. Yeah, like a very large hole filled with mud. Can I give a landscape explanation here? Yeah. What's going on here in the trenches is that so a lot of this part of Europe is made out of chalk. Chalk here being the thing that, you know, you write on chalkboards with. And if you've written on chalkboard with chalk, you know how, well, chalky it is. <laughs> so that's kind of like the base that is there. And then there's a layer of topsoil. So now imagine this environment being bombed. And then it also raining because it's Europe. And then all of this mixy mashing together. And imagine the sludge that you have to go through. So you have to go through that while you're covered in fleas and also have boots that are constantly wet and a uniform that's wet and dirty and you don't have enough food and there's not enough smokes for you to like survive off of. And that's kind of what we're going at with here. So when we say like in a mud puddle, we mean like everything was mud and it just so happens that he fell into one hole that had more shell hole in it. So it was deeper and he started to drown. I think he was injured at the time. Yeah. One other thing that happens when they're traveling to Belgium is they start to get attacked by like a gas attack, like a chlorine gas attack. And none of the men besides Robert have gas masks because they just, I guess the people who sent them out there were like, they don't need this essential equipment. It's probably going to be fine. Yeah. Like nurses and N95s. Yeah. God. 
gosh. Um, keep tying it back. So Robert saves them from the gas attack by having them pee on like strips of cloth from their clothes and then hold it over their faces and lie in the mud because chlorine mixed with ammonia just forms like a crystal so you can't breathe it in. And then they play dead for a while and then Robert starts to get up to see if everyone's gone and there's a German soldier at the top of the pit where they're laying watching them. Right, because they were in a shell dugout essentially. Yeah, so the German soldier is lying there and Robert kind of locks eyes with him and he like holds up his gun and all the men leave the pit and the soldier just lets them go and Robert's like okay he must not have a gun or something and then he sees the soldier reach for something and he shoots him and the soldier dies and then he gets closer and he sees that what he was actually reaching for was just a pair of binoculars and he hears a bird tweeting above him somewhere and he realizes this wasn't someone who was there to snipe them he was just there to watch birds and he could have shot them because he did have a gun on them and the sound of birds chirping haunts Robert for the rest of his days which is very sad you guys can't see this but we're both basically crying <laughs> Amy more so this is not fun I take back all the funs I've had before there's no fun to be had here in Belgium it gets worse because they go through the Battle of Saint Eloy they experience just the worst parts of trench warfare there's mustard gas there's flamethrowers there's bombs barrages their home hut thing gets bombed and one of the soldiers and it dies one of Robert's friends also their captain Captain Leather Fuck him. Useless. Useless man. Fuck him. After the battle, Robert goes to a rest hospital. The person who runs the rest hospital is Barbara, one of the two people who scattered Harris's ashes with him. So he sees her again. He also sees Taffler, and Taffler has had both his arms blown off. So he's very disillusioned and just feels like he has nothing left to live for because his thing was like he was a war hero and now he can't do that and he doesn't know what he can do. And he tries to kill himself while Robert is there and it doesn't work and he does it graphically and I'm not going to describe it but Juliet Barbara's sister finds him and stops him she's also one of the people telling the frame narrative yeah while Robert is there he starts a relationship with Barbara and Juliet the sister who also has a crush on Robert walks in on them having sex and is traumatized so she gets two traumas in one week so that's fun can I add like an actual fun part about this narrative and the use of women in the narrative? Yeah. So the women here, this is one of the ways that it subverts history and narrative storytelling is that the women hold all the stories. They hold all the photos. They're the ones transcribing the interviews or the one doing the interviews. It's an entirely women-led recording endeavor, kind of like this podcast. Wow. You're so right. I didn't realize that. So it's part of the whole like subverting war narrative things and how you know it's not really the victors or the losers it's the observers who tell the story so that's also kind of fun so that's our interlude of joy now we're gonna get back to something bad this is where our content warning for rape comes in so if you don't want to hear about that skip forward like a minute robert gets sent back to france and on his way back to France, he stays at a mental institution and he gets raped. And he thinks that he gets raped by patients of the mental institution, but then he sees their bag 
flags or like their badges or something and he realized they're fellow soldiers so he's kind of very disillusioned about like the people he's fighting alongside yeah because they were supposed to be his comrades there's um there's some various imagery that happened here i wrote about it in my essay so i'm just going to touch on it quickly here as he's trying to like you know fight back obviously because what's happening to him he grabs at the mattress and he pulls out some horse hair again the horse imagery is still there yeah i think he reaches for his gun but he's not able to use it or something and it's like kind of this idea of like both the thing that could save him but also it's the same people who are hurting him like they also have guns so that's something that happens there there's also feathers so the birds are coming back there's feathers in the pillows and that kind of stuff um so it's a very imagery laden event that happens in robert's life and if you're interested i have part of an essay about it and i can send it to you but otherwise i think we can move on with the sad stuff yeah we'll put it on the patreon that we don't have yet yep so he gets to france and almost immediately when he gets there there is a very intense battle that basically sets the whole field on fire and captain leather's like robert go do this thing that's going to be useless because all the people on the field are dead like go scout to like see if they're dead and robert's like well obviously they're dead like the field's on fire what i should do is save the horses from the barn before the barn catches on fire because if i don't do that then they're all going to die and we're going to have no way to send our sick and injured out of here and like get our supplies and stuff and Captain Leather's like, no, because he sucks. So Robert disobeys that order, and he and his friend Devlin try to open the barn anyway. And what Leather does is shoot his own soldier. He shoots Devlin, and he tries to shoot Robert. While that's happening, the barn does catch on fire, and the horses start burning inside of it, and it's very terrible. So Robert is there, his friend is dead, the horses are about to die, and he's just raging because it's all Leather's fault, obviously. So he shoots and kills leather which i mean just desserts i know right but he knows that that's not how the court will see it he knows he'll get court-martialed which i think just means like war arrested yeah so he starts to escape and on his way out he finds another 120 horses or so in like this train car who are being shipped into the war and he's like okay well those horses are just gonna go to the same fate that i just saw for a bunch of other horses so I'm not going to let that happen to them. So he opens the train car, he frees all those horses, and he escapes with them and a dog that he finds. Another soldier tries to stop him, and Robert kills that soldier because his give-a-damn is now busted. He comes upon a barn, and he's like, okay, well, this is perfect. I have 100 horses. I will rest up in this barn with the horses. While he's in the barn with the horses, the soldiers who know what happened with Leather and him catch up to him, and they're like, okay, you've now stolen 100 horses. You've murdered two soldiers. You need to come get arrested. And Robert's like, I'm literally, I, I have no motivation to come get arrested. I'm not coming out of the barn. So they set the barn on fire, presumably not realizing that the doors are locked and there's no way for Robert to get out with the horses. So all the horses die. The dog dies. Robert gets terribly, terribly burned. And he goes back to the rest hospital because he's too injured to get like sentenced and sent to jail and stuff. And he basically just like suffers for the rest of his life until he dies in 1922. And that's the end of the book. Yeah, somewhere in there, Rodwell dies as well. I believe he commits suicide because he just can't with the atrocities of the war anymore. So Rodwell is an artist and Robert is the only human in his book. Speaking of humans and animals, yeah. you mentioned 
mentioned before that animals are a huge theme that comes up. Yes. I would like to expand on why that is. Please. Which you might have extrapolated during my summary, but basically having empathy for animals is shorthand for the good people in the book. So the people who have empathy for animals, obviously Robert. Rowena loves her rabbits. Harris loves the horses and he really wants to see a whale and he loves the ocean. Rodwell rescues the small animals that get injured and Devlin tries to help Robert save the horses near the end. Whereas the people who have no empathy for animals are the most villainous characters. So like Robert's mom at the beginning is like the villain of the beginning. Later she just becomes a sad alcoholic and like very traumatized and regrets what she's done. But yeah, as you do in the Southern Ontario Gothic. Yes, that's what Southern Ontario is. It's just alcoholics. You wouldn't let me trash talk Alberta, but you can trash talk <laughs> the entirety of Southern Ontario, which is like most of Canadians. Come on. It's where I'm from, so I can get away with it. I've been to Alberta. Robert's mom tries to make him kill the rabbits, which is the final straw that makes him sign up for the war. Captain Leather, his name is Leather. He's literally named after dead animal skin, and he actively causes the horse's deaths, and he tries to kill Robert, and he murders his own soldier. So he's just an all-around bad dude. Also, he has no military strategy, and he doesn't want to get his hands dirty, and he basically just, like, sits in his, like, slightly comfier trench cabin the whole time and it's like I'm gonna do some military strategy but doesn't because he's useless and the one who actually knows anything about war is one of the soldiers in um, Robert's cabin so like that shorthand has truth in it like statistically in studies that they've done people who have no empathy for animals generally also have less empathy for like other beings who are more vulnerable than them including human beings I've started to be nicer to spiders. Good job. I try to take them outside of the house now. I'm proud of you. Thanks. This is a big growth for me. You know how much I hate them, but I'm trying to be nicer. Yeah. The other thing this ties back to is that in a lot of like war works that we've read, it talks about how the war decimated nature and the animals. We talked about this in our episode that we did on There Will Come Soft Rains last year, which is a hopeful apocalyptic poem written during the war, but set after the war, talking about like how eventually the war will be over and even though that land is decimated and covered in barbed wire and stuff the animals will come back and there will be birds and there will be frogs and you can hear nature again um, because during the war all the animals were affected all the plants were affected all the humans were affected like it was just a ruined landscape yeah and like it got so bad at points that, like you couldn't even hear the birds even after the shells had dropped because they just like were like shit i'm not staying here yeah and it's like large parts of the countries that they were taking place in They're like still finding shells today that didn't explode huge parts of france yeah. belgium germany so yeah overall it's kind of a nod to the animals are a symbol of like pacifism so the people who like animals are the more pacifist people because war is very like there's no animals yeah animals are also um this ties into the homosocialism stuff but animals are presented as a feminine 
icon as well. Yeah. Because Rowena really likes them. So that's our first instance with animals. And then everyone else who is like tied to animals in a positive way expresses more, this is in air quotes, feminine attributes for the time. Effeminate. Yeah. Like a lot of them were described by this one critic whose name I'm not going to cite because it's uncited. But they were cited as being like feminine beings in masculine bodies because of their sensitivity, which is like, you know, very um, binary. It's very cisnormative, but sure. Yeah. But that's also how it was at the time, you know? Yeah. So it goes back also to like that muscular Christianity and how, you know, you have these macho mans further subverts it. Yeah. We're not agreeing with the heteronormativity or the binary here. We're just saying that it was being played like a fiddle in this novel. Another one that I forgot to mention, Taffler is a horse. Taffler is a horse. So that's something. The horses are a big thing. During the war, there was also a lot of eating the horses because they had nothing else to eat, which is sad. Yeah. And made me gag a little uh, when I first read it for reasons. So that's a thing. Also, like the horse hair uh, when he's being raped and the whole... Horses have a big imagery. They have a big imagery with war. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie War Horse. I've seen the play War Horse. Yeah, which is probably too much anyways but yeah there's a lot of horses and stuff so yeah i did watch the film last night i didn't even know there was a film i didn't know there was a film until i looked up the wars plot summary and they started giving me the summary to the film and then i was like why would i do that when i can just watch the film so i watched the film while reading the plot summary to the book and they did change some things okay overall it's very accurate that's because the screenplay was written by timothy finley and it was directed like a few years after the book was published yeah Things that they changed. They took out all the gay parts. Of course. Robert does not get raped by men. Taffler does not have gay sex with someone in the brothel. Just overall, it's a straight book. Gross. <laughs> they took out Taffler trying to kill himself, which I can see why they did that. That's fair. For a visual medium. Yeah. Because just seeing him with his arms cut off was already was like, enough. pretty graphic. Yeah. And they like linger on this bowl of bloody bandages for a long time while... Robert's trying to pour a drink right next to it. So it's like a lot. Yep. They let the horses live. The horses don't die in the first barn. Robert saves the ones that Leather tries to leave to die. I have a question. Yeah. I'm pretty sure at some point he does save a bunch of horses and a bunch of like some flaming but some not horses escape from a barn. Okay. Maybe that's the same. So that does happen. He saves them from the barn. Mm -hmm. He takes those same horses to the second barn. Right. Where he gets surrounded. He doesn't find a second group of horses in a train car. He just takes the same horses, all of them from the barn, takes them to the second barn. He gets surrounded. That barn starts to get burned down and somehow that door gets opened while the horses are inside so they don't all die. They just run away and then the soldiers say that they died because they don't want to admit that they were not able to keep them and they also survived. Right. I guess saying they died is better than saying that they were set free for some reason. It's weird. It's very strange. I have this weird like feeling in the back of my head that I've written the sentence flaming horse like the imagery of the flaming horse exiting the barn that's on fire which is weird sad in itself that's all I got cool so let's talk more about things that I want to talk about (laughs) so this is like a post postmodern book we're not going to get too far into that it's uncomfortably realistic I would say Mm -hmm. uses a lot of scathology so like poop 
stuff. Scatology, yeah. Scatology. And also employs a lot of archiving for the historiographical metafiction thing. Yeah, so let's talk about homosocialism for a second and what it is. So homosocialism... Let's talk about homosocialism, baby. ...is a... And this is controversial. The definition can be massaged. <laughs> it's a platonic relationship with sexual undertones, sometimes actual sexual intercourse, that avoids romantic love. So basically, it's imagine like the stories of guys who went to all boy high schools and they had like sexual relationships with their friends, but not because they were romantically interested in their friends, just because there was like no one else there. Let me put it into the way that my prof put it into. He said, this is a paraphrase actually, you know how hockey bros have these like circle jerks in the locker room? It's like that. And uh, that stunned a class of 14 people. So it's basically that, but it's like deeper than like a hockey team or an all boys school or whatever, because you're also going through like all of these other like intense emotions at all times. So like everything in your life is heightened, right? It's like you're a teenager again. Yeah. So you feel these like really deep bonds with these people that aren't necessarily romantic because that would be gay. Although sometimes they are. Yeah, yeah. And at the boarding school, sometimes they are. There's people who are gay, bi, queer, just interested in men. That would be fine. But don't want to put a label on it. Some people would still have sexual relationships even if they're not interested. Yes. But it's, it's kind of like that idea of like, you know, you have these like really strong bonds with people. You do things because you need to do them for your body or whatever. And this builds onto this whole camaraderie thing where like, you know, that whole like brothers in arms, what we went through in the war, we stay in the war kind of thing that kind of mentality has to do with all this kind of stuff um it's fairly common in the first world war not necessarily in the second so a lot of the literature from this time which includes but is not limited to one of my favorite trilogy regeneration um by pat barker which we'll get to eventually <laughs> there's a lot of these like feminine aspect to homosocialism as well and we see it a lot here between the platonic relationship between rodwell and robert mm -hmm. so like they're not overtly sexual with each other right that's fair fine whatever but they do have that same level of like bond that you would have with someone that you were intimate with without any of the like actual love love because Rodwell loved women also. Well you can love women and men but I don't think that's what they did. No that's not who he was at least in the context of the book I think. So we have this like experience this bond that we have the bond he had with Harris was the same you know you go through this experience you have these emotions you feel them with this person you're not in love with them I mean you can be but you're not in love with them in this camaraderie bond so that's kind of what it is it also happens to be that like at this time most if not all soldiers were men so yeah that's something that really happens a lot here and it really subverts this whole muscular christianity stuff because the muscular christian guy only needs himself yeah until you know he gets written like a horse <clears throat> taffler which is fine go for taffler go him you do you boo he yeah. was having a good time until he didn't have arms yeah i mean not having arms would do that to you though i think you know i mean some people get by yeah with no arms yeah they're fine i i guess taffler wasn't there he wasn't ready he no well he no he they got blown off also he he was born with arms yeah and i think there's like a degree of like preparation you have to do as well when you lose your arms and like they didn't have the mental health understanding that we have today so like i can imagine 
imagine that they were just like, yeah, you are now not able to do anything in the world. You can't work. You can't feed yourself because we weren't at that point socially. But now we are have done leaps and bounds in terms of people with disabilities and how they can, you know, take care of themselves and the um, services we have available. Yeah, there's like personal adaptation. There are prosthetics. Yeah. But Taffler got access to neither of those. Taffler was shit out of luck. Yeah. I think the term is um, up creek without a paddle. Yep. Yeah. Scatology. So what happens with the war? And I think we need to talk about this. Coupled with the animals, the homosocialism, and the women saying the story is that this book challenges the grand narratives surrounding the First World War. So when you think about the First World War, you think Flanders Field. You think poppies. You think we won Vimy. And all these like grand ideas of like... You're saying a lot of Canadian things? Yes. Um, Canadians say that. Canadians say this because this is the, this book is Canadian. It subverts the Canadian grand narrative of the First World War. Yes, okay. Thank you. I just wanted its... to clarify because not everyone listening is going to get this these references. Y'all... <laughs> So it challenges all of this because it gives a real portrayal of how the war was. Well, as real as a fiction book can be. It gives depictions of trauma, of the landscape, of the effects it has on people and on animals and on surrounding people like the Ospreys are the girls in the book. And it also subverts all this because women are telling the story. So if you have feelings about the grand narratives of how we talk about war in Canadian grand narratives, I think this is a really good book to start off with. Yes. Yes. Do you have anything else to add? Not about the book. I'm hesitant to give a rating scale because there's not really anything funny in this book besides the phrase jumping the gun. Okay, I'm going to give you a rating scale. All right, give me a rating scale. Okay, on a scale of leather existing to oh, no. the enjoyment that Rowena had from her bunnies, oh. what would you rate this book? Um, I would rate this book Rodwell taking care of squirrels in the trench because it's a good book. Obviously, Rodwell was doing a good thing, but like the fact that it has to exist and just be traumatizing and, and put that, that negativity and trauma and just harshness out into the world because those things actually happened is very bad. And the fact that Rodwell had to take care of those animals because they were getting injured because that landscape was decimated was also very bad. Yeah, so I was going to go a similar route, but I was going to try to be funny about it. I was going to say this book is like a Taffler being ridden like a horse because oh wow, very pleasurable for him, but also kind of traumatizing for Robert. So it's kind of like a good middle book, you know, like it has good parts, it has bad parts, but I think it's kind of a necessary evil for you know the world to exist as in like Taffler needed his pleasure in some way or another and he really enjoyed it even though at the time it was seen negatively by society you went a very different route with that rating yeah but like it's the same idea I was good I appreciate it you can cut it out if it's too controversial TM I'm not going to cut it out (laughs) okay (laughs) like I mean do what you gotta do to have your pleasure as long as it's like consensual and like everybody's on board yeah get your rocks off however you want as long as it's not hurting anybody yeah but I think Robert King shamed him a little. Just a smidge. Just a smidge. King shaming in the wars. Next essay idea. I think that's all we have. I do have a fun personal story, which I wanted to tell you earlier today, but I wanted to save for the podcast because I think it's funny. But if you are here for book talks and you're not here for just Amy and Chantel talks, feel free to just dip out here. We loved having you. Thank you so much. Before Chantel gets into her personal story, that's going to be great because I haven't heard it yet. I do want to shout out to Spotify 
Spotify because they now have a rating system. Oh, so yay. if you listen to us on Spotify and you're always like, I don't want to go to Apple. Well, you can rate us on Spotify. Yes. Please give us five stars. We love you so much. Yes. <laughs> and find us at Unsighted Pod. So Chantel, what's your story? Yes. So apparently my partner, Ethan, woke up at 3 a.m. and and slightly woke me up. I... <laughs> in my fugue state, wanted to tell him that they redesigned the M&Ms. Okay. Did you hear that they redesigned the M&Ms, Amy? Nope. <laughs> I was reading about this yesterday. They redesigned the M&Ms. I was staring at them trying to figure out what they redesigned. Apparently they just like slightly changed the arm and leg color from like generic white person crayon color to like a shade of the M&M color. Right. And also they like slightly changed their shoes. Okay. And then the rest of the differences are just personality differences. Right. For the m M's. Uh-huh. Side note, Tucker Carlson from Fox News was like Gross. really upset that they made the M&Ms less sexy because one of them's wearing sneakers instead of thigh high boots right now and Twitter was having a field day. Like, does Tucker Carlson know that you don't need to bang an M&M? <laughs> so I was finding this very amusing. So I was trying to tell him this last night at 3 a.m. when I was half awake. Yeah. More like a quarter awake because what I was saying is they changed the M&Ms. And he was like, what? I was like, they changed the M&Ms but not like the individual M&Ms, like all the M&Ms, but not all the M&Ms, like also the individual M&Ms. And he was like, what? And then the next words I said were, her family doesn't have electrical outlets, therefore not technological M&Ms. I love everything about this because it goes back to the nonsense things you've said to me in the past. It's like akin to what I used to say when I was on cold medication. Oh, yeah. From what I'm guessing is the 7th of November 2015. What if we were (laughs) supposed to evolve to have no hair? What if we were evolving to not have eyebrows, but then it looked creepy as fuck? (laughs) So people didn't have sex and we stopped that. Uh, So if you ever listen to this podcast and you're like, wow, Amy and Chantel are so eloquent. Nope. I'm glad that Ethan now has the ability to go through these motions with me and I think we need a support group. Yeah. So I guess that's all we have for you today. This was a very long episode. I don't know how long it's going to turn out after I edit it, but we only said exclusively brilliant things, so probably I won't need to cut anything out. I didn't read anything from the four essays that are staring me in the face. Or the book, because it's it's in Toronto. Right, Amy? Okay, I like, I'm going to forgive you. Thank you. I love you. I love you too. Okay. If you had a fun time with this podcast, I'm not going to say if you had fun. This was not a fun episode until the end and also at the beginning. The middle, the in medias res, was was no bueno. That's a joke from last episode. Go listen. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review. If you were on Spotify, you can just pop over there and give us a five-star rating. And it takes like a millisecond. It's going to be so great. We're going to appreciate it so much. Yeah, you just go on the page when you want to listen to the next episode and you just click on the star and you go click and you go boom, five, done, copy, paste. Wow. If you're on Apple iTunes, you can give us a review. We love to read them. If you're really keen, uh, you can head over to Podchaser and give us a rating and review. We would also love to hear that. If you want to chat with us and tell us we're stupids, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. You can also tell us if I am still in trouble for stealing Amy's book. I gave it to you, but then you never gave it back. You look so sad. Uh, well, yeah, because so this is like the whole, you remember a couple episodes? 
episodes ago when I was bitching about my partner giving away books. Yeah. It's me. I'm the drama. Thank you for listening. We are the drama. We hope to see you again in two weeks. And as always, we're excited and available. I'm, I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at the term too intimate for reasons that are clear to you and I, but not to anybody else. Inside jokes translate really well over podcasts to a large audience of people who have never met us.